Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. We've got a nice one for you today. Uh, you know, we're uh, you know approaching the dead of summer. Heat waves, rainstorms across the country. How are things over there for you? Uh, they are getting ready to come down. That's <laughs> The sky's about <laughs> to open up here. A little bit it's opening up, but uh, yeah, welcome back everyone. Um, we're only a few days away from the MLB trade deadline, Lefty. Yeah, we had our first uh, first big trade yesterday. Are you talking about the uh, the Yankees and the Royals? Yeah, Ben Intendi getting getting sent back to the AL East uh, after his days right. in Boston. Uh, Yankees getting a, a couple of uh, pitchers in return. Yeah, not not as much action as I thought there would be, but uh, we're gonna keep our eyes peeled on players like Juan Soto, of course. You know. A lot of conversation around Soto and the Nationals after he rejected that $440 million contract. Um, so obviously the biggest name in the league, but also the biggest name that doesn't even have to go anywhere just yet. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you think that he uh, gets traded? You know, I guess uh, that was my question to you, Lefty. I mean, uh, there's a there's got to be someone who's willing to give up a King's Ransom for this guy, right? Somebody yeah. out there? Yeah, so uh, I just saw that uh, somebody had uh, leaked uh, the Padres offer. A handful of top prospects, C.J. Abrams, uh, Robert Hassel, um, a few other names. I believe Mackenzie Gore was also listed in there. Uh, So they're definitely willing to fork up uh, some pretty high capital. I don't know if it's enough to move the needle, uh, but it sounds like that's the best offer so far. Sure. Yeah. I've, I've seen a couple potential offers from the Cardinals. I would say that the Padres, uh, you know, takes the, takes a cake so far, if that is the case, uh, those are just prospects or those are, those are good, solid names there. Um, but we will see, you know, the nationals don't have to pull the trigger if they don't want to. So yeah, there's um, no, yeah. uh, there's no real, um, rush with that. I would personally think that he probably doesn't move right now. The asking price is probably just too high. But I could sure. see, you know, in another year, uh, that that becomes a little more likely, especially now Definitely. that they have, uh, you know, rejected the proposal for the international draft. So the qualifying right. uh, offer, you know, structure still remains in the books. So that 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 would entice a team to maybe spend a little more, knowing they're going to get that uh, that supplemental pick back. Sure, sure. You know, we'll touch a little bit more on the the trade deadline here a little bit later in the show you know keep it on some uh, the topic of big names some nfl news free agent wide receiver and future hall of famer in my opinion julio jones just inked the one-year deal with the tampa bay buccaneers so you know he's not the julio of just a few short years ago he's had injury issues but when he's healthy he is still a dynamic presence on the field but uh, he just signed with the team that's yet again a super bowl favorite he just signed with a team whose quarterback is arguably and painfully the greatest of all time. Uh, he just <laughs> signed with a team <laughs> that has numerous weapons, and the pressure isn't on him for uh, to you know to be number one. So uh, at age thirty-three, does Julio Jones see a resurgence, Lefty? You know, it's it's definitely possible. Uh, you know, he's a little up there in terms of wide receiver age, but at the same time, he's got a forty-five-year-old quarterback. So. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> if if Brady can defy the 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 gods of aging, I think that uh, maybe maybe Julio has a little something left in the tank. Um, 
I think yeah. that it's it's yeah. it's pretty interesting uh, roster compilation. Uh, I think that uh, composition. Sorry, uh, I think that uh, you know this might take a little bit off of Mike Evans, uh, who sure, sure. you know is is silently uh, maybe another potential future Hall of Famer. Definitely another Def- kind of yeah. under the radar name there. I agree. You know, I don't know what the availability of Chris Godwin's going to be, but they did lose Rob Gonkowski to retirement. Um, I think this is a pretty good third option for Tom Brady, uh, you know, and they're, they're going through a lot of changes here. We'll see what, you know, uh, state the team's going to be in new head coach after Bruce Arians kind of stepped back. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to add that this morning during practice, Bucks center Ryan Jensen was carted off with a significant knee injury. Um, unknown at this time, the extent of it, but hopefully it's minimal and doesn't cost him his season because uh, Tom Brady needs him. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully uh, nothing too serious. Um, it would be, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a different look offense, whether that be, you know, without Gronkowski or with uh, Leonard Fournette showing up uh, resembling uh, Mike Allstott. <laughs> Correct. Let's, uh, let's talk a little soccer. Cristiano Ronaldo, you, you heard of this guy, Lefty? You heard this? Uh, yeah, I've heard a thing or two. Yeah, I've heard some things. Uh, well, everyone seems to be trying to pinpoint the next venture after he let Manchester United's uh, hierarchy know he wanted out not too long ago. Yeah, um, yeah, they are insistent. Some, some feel that, like, uh, yeah, I mean, some feel like the MLS will be his next and final stop. I do not envision that happening. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, the team sounds like they're not actually all that willing to move him. Uh, they still uh-huh. see a place for him. Uh, uh-huh. He wants out, so it'll be interesting to see who wins that competition. Um, I think that he probably does move, but he doesn't have much time. We're, what, two right. weeks away from the start of the season? Uh, sure. So he doesn't have a lot of time to get out, uh, and he doesn't have a lot of time to acclimate to a new program. Right. What I find interesting is the reports that have recently linked him to a, a La Liga return and the absolute opposition that has been vocalized by Atletico Madrid fans. <laughs> I'm not sure if you heard about this, but did you see the statement that Atletico's uh, International Union of Fan Clubs released? I did not. So there was a statement released and it says, Ronaldo represents the antithesis of the values that constitute the hallmarks of our athletic such as the effort, generosity, modesty, and humility of those who want to defend our values. As such, we ask the club to reject his possible signing if it has indeed been considered at any time. So now, of course, you know, La Liga president Javier Tabas has has given his full support of a return, of course, right, uh, to be expected. But, you know, what's up with the animosity here, right? And also, you know, where do you see Ronaldo's career headed you know, it's it's hard to say. I think that he could uh, definitely contribute in in a league like La Liga or, you know, uh, several across Europe um, or any, you know, lower league. Uh, he still obviously is productive within the Premier League. Um, obviously, there were sure. some criticisms about him last year, you know, scoring in garbage time or on penalties or whatnot. But he's still a productive player to an extent. Not as dominant as sure. he once was, but definitely still has things to contribute to, uh, you know, rosters. So he definitely has a few more years, it looks like. Um, and, you know, it's a benefit to any team that he does sign with or get, uh, you know, transferred to. 
just just his marketability. Uh, he's he's by far the most popular athlete in the world. Um, right. His his following among even non soccer fans is huge, um, sure. and he's he's really curated that image and that uh, that marketability. Uh, so there there's a lot in his transfer. So even even if he doesn't maintain the highest level of play, he's still a valuable asset to any team. Correct. I think if we're talking here about PR, if we're talking about um, getting visibility on whoever you're with, of course, the MLS and the La Liga are going to try to throw their hats into the uh, into the mix any way that they can. So, you know, it's yeah, expect- I, I I don't think that anyone in the MLS could could afford that realistically. So I don't envision that happening. But uh, there are definitely you know several teams across Europe that could could make a move. Definitely. You know, this falls in line with statements the MLS has released about pursuing Messi, uh, now pursuing Ronaldo. It's just going to continue down the line. Like I said, we've seen this uh, pattern of players at the end of their career, um, you know, coming over, but uh, not sure about this one. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But, uh, you know, today we got a great show. Again, we're going to talk about two possibly underrated athletes out there and uh, have some good discussions. So, you know, Lefty, is there someone you want to kind of chat about first? Yeah, totally. You know, as you may or may not know, I'm a pretty casual NBA fan. I usually tune into a handful of games each year, rarely more than more than four or five. Uh, that, that being said, as a native Hoosier, I do know a thing or two about Big Ten basketball and defensive uh, basketball fundamentals. You know, my uh, love of disciplined college basketball runs deep. Uh, but uh, while that may be the case, do you know what I undoubtedly understand more than almost anything, save for uh, complaining about how bad the White Sox are doing? <laughs> What's that? Talking shit on the internet. And if there's <laughs> anyone that's been subject of, uh, you know, widespread and now renewed negativity on Twitter lately. It's a certain player that uh, is coming off their fourth NBA title and is in the midst of a pretty public contract dispute. Naturally, (laughs) we've got to talk about Draymond Green. Oh, yeah. Dre. Everybody's talking about Dre. When are are they not? When isn't Dre talking about Dre? Exactly. Uh, He he knows how to remain in the spotlight. Uh, You know, the hot takes about Draymond really run the gamut. One tweet I saw, you know, jokingly questioned whether Draymond is now a Hall of Fame lock after, you know, his brilliant game three of the finals. To me, that seemed a bit absurd on its face, but as a casual fan and someone who has seen overwhelmingly negative things hurled towards Green, I thought maybe it would be fun to dig a little deeper. Yeah, so on its surface, Draymond's a four-time All-Star, four-time NBA championship, seven-time All-Defensive Team member, and was the 2016-17 Defensive Player of the Year. On top of that, in college, he was the Big Ten Player of the Year, a first-team All-American, and the NABC National Player of the Year in 2012. You know, as a three-star recruit, according to rivals at high school, Green wasn't a top 100 recruit and decided to stay home, uh, you know, close to his Saginaw, Michigan home, went to Michigan State. Kind of followed that classic Tom Izzo development pattern, slowly built up minutes and importance, won the Big Ten Sixth Man of the Year as a sophomore, and didn't really win that starting position until his junior year on campus. Then he only became a standout player in college as a senior. During that senior season, he averaged 16.2 points a game, 
and 10.6 rebounds. That massive increase in pressure on the defensive glass his senior season, coupled with his you know, more consistent three-point shot, gave him some unexciting versatility, but it did lead to him getting selected as the fifth pick uh, in the second round of the 2012 draft by Golden State. Yeah, that was a big year. That his senior year was a huge year. I mean, he was he was captain, you know, for the Spartans that year. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're Big Ten champions. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a huge year. Um, that was, uh, you know, the team's 13th conference title um, in the third and well, however many consecutive years. It was a big deal. So obviously, um, you know, he was uh, he was multi- multiple times he was named the Big Ten player of the week uh throughout that single season if you if you can believe that yeah yeah and that season really uh you know allowed him to display his his passion and understanding of basketball you know that that granular understanding of the game that uh that really goes understated you know Izzo described uh, Draymond as the quote heart and soul of that Michigan State program and liked him to uh enforcer in hockey oh yeah and, uh, you know, after he was drafted, it took Green until his junior season to earn consistent starting minutes at Powered Forward, but he immediately sure. made his presence felt. He only scored 13.3 points per game and had 9.4 total rebounds, not relatively high numbers, but that 2014-15 season marked the first in an eight-year streak that's still active of defensive rebound percentage above 20%. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, that, that was, like you said, that was his first season where he was actually being recognized and he really, really turned it up as far as, um, the physicality and the play and the numbers reflected. And, you know, they won their first championship, you know, as, as far as this, uh, you know, dynasty goes for golden state, that was their first championship. And, you know, he was actually only, one of a few players in NBA history to record a triple double in the NBA finals that year as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was his first year to contribute to that, that warriors dynasty, Uh, you know, and it would only take another, you know, two seasons uh, for that second championship to come. And in that second NBA championship season, we saw green win the defensive player of the year award on the back of a league leading 3.9 DBPM. The Warriors would win that second championship, led by, you know, perennial MVP candidates, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. But underscoring all of that was Draymond Green, the the spark plug, the defensive wizard. Um, And uh, at the same time, he was followed by that real cloud of negative energy surrounding his uh, alleged dirty play. You know, he had a number (laughs) of highly visible uh, incidents across the playoffs. Um, And in... In my opinion, those incidents are very reflective of the overall value that Draymond offers as a player. And part of the reason he's so underrated by fan bases that aren't, you know, in the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. I I agree 100%. You know, in game five of the finals, uh, you know, just a a month or so ago, Green was the biggest best. He, uh, you know, rolling into stoppage time late in the fourth quarter, Jason Tatum had the ball and wanted to put up a shot during the dead ball period. Uh, Draymond followed him all the way back to the Celtics bench to prevent him from taking that shot as he, you know, fully lives in that space in which an opponent should never get a shot off, should never get a clean look. And it doesn't even matter if the clock is is rolling. <laughs> you know, it, it really harkened back to another play in that championship run in 2018 in which, you know, 
Rajon Rondo had to be physically separated from Green during a conference semifinals game after Green played again. <laughs> Rondo tight to the time, tight after a timeout, blocked a dead ball shot, um, and you know just just really got Rajon out of his groove. <laughs> yeah, I, I I honestly was gonna you know that that's definitely a, me- a memorable moment. You know Draymond's been a part of a few of them, but uh, yeah, you know over his career. Um, He's been such a physical player, and it's harkened back to those years, especially during the 90s, when the game was as physical as it had ever been. And uh, you get away with murder at those times. So uh, uh, Dre has still carried that on, and, and that, that torch is, is still in his hand these days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that high-energy mental aspect of the game that he shows, it's not something that's easily quantifiable. It's not on a basketball reference page. But, uh, you know, it's something that Warriors, you know, owe a lot of their success to, whether it be by crashing the boards hard on, you know, easy LeBron rebounds or continuing to talk shit to Tristan Thompson after he'd already been ejected with only 11 (laughs) seconds left in the game. Uh, You know, Green displayed how outside of, you know, total points, rebounds or steals, he could totally impact a game and he could totally impact, you know, how opponents perform in that, uh, you know, 2018 finals run. Definitely. It's always, it's, it's always been a mental game with Draymond. He, he knows how to play it well. And you see the results, you see him get into the psyche of the opposition constantly. Uh, and that's one, one thing, uh, he's just been able to do consistently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that energy has continued now four years later into, you know, this past 2022 finals so much so that Red Sox fans, not the same sport, uh, started to <laughs> chant about him during a Red Sox game. Um, never, never in Boston. That would never happen. That's <laughs> fake news. It's fake news. And while, uh, you know, Draymond has seen his field goal percentage and assist kind of trend up as he ages, he still has no real flashy standout numbers. But barring a significant fallout, uh, you know, he'll likely go down as having one of the highest DBPM points averages in basketball history. As it stands, he's third all time, and he might uh, even crack the top 100s in terms of VORP by the time he retires. Yeah, his playoff production will also likely be among the best. Uh, he already is among the top 25 in terms of total playoff steals and assists, and uh, you know he should uh, crack the top 25 in rebounds if he uh, you know returns to the playoffs. You know, aside from those few standout metrics. He's really only been very good, but no metrics really account for the energy and mental impact that Draymond has had on the games uh, and, you know, how he's impacted that Warriors dynasty. That intensity and impact led the Warriors to another NBA championship and Green to his fourth title at only age 32. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, they're in it every they're, they're in it every year, and uh, obviously that's attributed to many players and different roles on that team, uh, including Draymond. Yeah, so that, that that begs the question. Is Draymond Green underrated? Well, you know, I feel like outside of Golden State, I do feel like Draymond has been undervalued. Um, not all his fault, obviously. The statistics tell a, a completely different story. And I know there's always some sort of, uh, 
you know, controversy surrounding Draymond. Uh, he, you know, he's a commentator. He's he's got his own podcast. He's he's always in the media. But I believe also that just as you know, you could say about the '90s Bulls and ask what great players for, played for the '90s Bulls, you're going to have great players who played behind other legendary players, <laughs> and they're going to be forgotten. Um, had they been on a different team and put up the same numbers, they would be the star of that team. Draymond has fell, fallen victim to that um, a bit, playing even even for one season behind Kevin Durant and uh, you know constantly behind Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, so many different role players within that organization. Um, on my end, I believe Draymond currently is undervalued, but at the end of the day, when he finally decides to end his career, I think he'll get the recognition he deserves as a, as a player. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, lots of people like to criticize um, his off-field, off-the-court antics. Um, but I think they all, you know, impact and play a larger role on uh, what happens on the court. You know, I, I don't sure. think that he does a lot of things that aren't uh, intentional. Um, you know, obviously, the the contract dispute, wanting uh, the maximum contract, four-year <laughs> extension... You know, that's a questionable ask, maybe. Um, Right. But at the same time, uh, it's another another chess piece he's moving. Um, And, you know, he'll probably end up uh, in Golden State for another four years, is my guess. Maybe not at that max contract, but... uh, Sure. He he'll stick around. I think that he he offers a lot of value to that that organization, and I think that, uh, you know... Assistant GM Steph Curry wants him to stay. <laughs> right. If, uh, you know, obviously, if you haven't seen, Draymond's mother is uh, making a lot of statements about it, too. She gets very involved. But uh, he's he's just a player who wants his own personal value. He values himself. And, you know, you can't really uh, harp on anyone for that. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Lefty. I, I think he'll be in Golden State for, for good. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of comparisons between, you know, his uh, personality uh, and that of like someone like Dennis Rodman on the on the Bulls championship teams. But, sure. You know, I don't actually think they're that similar. I think no. that, uh, that, that Rodman was very uh, provocative just for the sake of it. Um, sure. I think that, that Draymond is a little more calculated than that. And uh, I think it, it's a discredit to all that he does to, to make that comparison. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, I, I watched Dennis Rodman for, for quite a while and, you know, there was a method to his madness, uh, but it was also Dennis being Dennis. Uh, I think with Draymond, it's, it's strategy. It's, it's a lot of strategy and there's more of a mental process that he's going through there. Yeah. Dennis was, uh, he's really uncomparable to anybody, but, um, he really, focused on physicality more than anything else and was able to you know do it very different game very different rules i I don't know if dennis rodman could be as successful in today's game i'll just be honest yeah neither does draymond (laughs) exactly (laughs) or any of the other 1998 chicago bulls (laughs) but yeah great is uh great touching on draymond um we'll take a quick little break and we'll come right back with another story we are back thanks for sticking with us is there anybody you wanted to talk about today bo of course so today's feature is around a former nfl running back 
He's He's been Hall of Fame eligible for more than a decade and for the first time became a semi-finalist during the selection for the 2022 class. Uh, he had a nine-year career in the NFL. He's an NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year winner, uh, first and second team All-Pro selection, a four-time Pro Bowl selection, and he was one yard away from becoming a Super Bowl 34 champ. Uh, his number 27 is retired by the Tennessee Titans, and he is now the current head coach of the Tennessee State football team. We are going to talk about the great Eddie George. Not a, not a name that comes up every day. No, no. But did when he was active and playing. So we'll start with a little college background so we can preface Eddie's road into the NFL real quick. He attended the Ohio State University where he set school rushing records uh, in his senior year. You know, that's 1,927 yards on the ground, uh, accompanied by 24 touchdowns. So <laughs> that's an average of a little over 148 yards per game. And he also caught 47 passes for 417 yards that senior year. Um, after he only caught 16 passes in his first three seasons. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, impressive production. It is. Uh, you know, especially, like I said, after uh, doing nothing through the air the first three years of his college career. And, uh, you know, the senior year, he had a school record 314 yards rushing and three TDs against Illinois. Huge game, right? I mean, the numbers were video game numbers. But it was one of three games in which he rushed over 200 yards. It, it sort of became expected of Eddie George to just put on a show at that time. So with that type of performance, he was recognized as a first-team All-American, of course, right? And topped it off by winning the Heisman Trophy that year. So he leaves OSU second in school history and career rushing and third in rushing touchdown at that time. So, you know, pretty impressive four-year stint, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, impressive four-year stint. Had a, you know, highly ranked uh, highly ranked school. That 95 Ohio State team was uh -huh. pretty solid. Uh, top 10 most of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, really solid. Really For solid sure. numbers at a really, really high level, you know, high level of competition. Yeah. You know... He leaves college and he becomes a 14th overall pick in the draft after being selected by the Houston Oilers, now the Tennessee Titans, in 1996. And he makes an immediate impact. He was, hands down, uh, the NFL Rookie of the Year in his first season. Now, you know, Titans fans see their current running back, Derrick Henry, as, as a force and just this freak of nature, but... You know, just to put it into perspective, Eddie George was 6'3", about 240 pounds uh, during his career. So Yeah, that's just unheard of size <laughs> in the modern game. Like, that right. is not, uh, that's not the size of running backs these days. So usually when you do see size like that, and without it, durability, especially as a running back, they've got a short, you know, shelf life uh, for, for the most part, right? So, yeah, things have changed a lot, but... Eddie was a true Ironman. From 96 through 2003, he was a starting running back for the Titans, and he never missed a single start. And in fact, he had only one season, his last, his very last season in the NFL, one season during his entire career where he didn't start and play in 16 games. So, you know, think about that. That's 130 of 143 regular season career games started. And especially in the league today, 
um, that ranks only second to Walter Payton, who did it 170 times. That's wild. Uh, you know, that's just incredible durability. Um, you know, especially when we think in the modern game how uh, disposable running backs are. Absolutely. And to suffer minor injuries, but to come back and just be ready, you know, in a few days, you know, Eddie just was consistent always, and he was always ready to go. So, you know, in 2000, the Titans made it to the Super Bowl, but eventually lost to the St. Louis Rams, who stopped them on the final play at about the one yard line, which is a, you know, a pretty historic and iconic moment in Super Bowl history. But had they won, had the Titans come out on top, had they scored that touchdown to end the game, I'm pretty confident that Eddie, who had 28 carries for 95 yards and two touchdowns, would have probably been the Super Bowl 34 MVP. Oh, so, yeah, ab- undoubtedly. Right. You know, he ran for better than 1,200 yards in each of his first five seasons, a feat matched only by Eric Dickerson, and became the sixth player to rush for more than 1,000 yards in each of his first five seasons. And the four of the first five are in the Hall of Fame. Just pointed that out. In fact, he only had one season where he rushed for under 1,000 yards, and that was in 2001, where he rushed for 939. Now, we're talking seasons where he started every single game so that, that was eight of his you know nine seasons as a starter um in in five of his eight seasons in nashville george carried the ball over 330 times so you know he was a machine and a lot of people contribute his excessive workload early on in his prime years to that early decline yes we we talk about running backs having a short shelf life but not to mention there was so much wear and tear and for him to be able to not miss any games just it's it's incredible yeah so, absolutely yeah so he you know overall george rushed for 10,441 yards that's on 2865 attempts he had 68 touchdowns on the ground he had 268 career catches 200 2227 receiving yards 10 receiving tds he currently ranks 28th among the league's uh, all-time leading rushers. You know, he's only the second NFL running back to rush for 10,000 yards while never missing a start, but he's only behind the great Jim Brown. Um, you know, so as of last season, he held in upwards of 20 franchise records within the Titans organization still. Um, he, 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 he was recognized as sometimes the best and or one of the best running backs in the league consistently but you know he still hasn't made it into canton ohio so it, let's talk his all-time rankings he's 16th in rushing attempts he's 27th in rushing yards per game he's 28th in rushing yards total uh he's 35th in rushing touchdowns 53rd yards from scrimmage 70 in total touchdowns and 80 in all-purpose yards so Many argue that although George was outstanding, he didn't have the credentials of guys like Jerome Bettis, who played during that same era. And he never won a Super Bowl. And somehow he never cracked the top five in leading rushers. Um, There were some outstanding running backs during that time. And not to mention the Titans and the Oilers weren't competitive as some of those other teams uh, that hosted Hall of Fame rushers over that time period. But I think... What you hear a lot is that Eddie was just dependable. There wasn't enough wow, wasn't enough flair. We kind of touched we touched on this in one of the earlier episodes, and, and a story you did on Marvin Harrison, Lefty. He was just 
a quiet guy who went out there and was very good at what he did. So I have to ask, is Eddie George just a good, solid running back in NFL history, or was his importance downplayed because he didn't have the wow factor, uh, because he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring? Is Eddie George underrated? You know, I'd say that uh, just right off the bat, definitely underrated. Somebody that, that definitely was overshadowed by, you know, some some louder, uh, flashier names during that era. Um, you know, maybe arguably uh, one of the one of the golden eras of, of the rushing game. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's his his career and and the way people you know feel about it and talk about it today are really reflective of the way in which winning a championship, being a part of those kind of universal, memorable moments, uh, really, really impacts uh, a career. He's definitely someone who uh, has kind of fallen off the radar, fallen under the radar. I'd say largely due to where he played and the success his team had, despite the fact that that really can't be attributed to him. Right, right. I think... In comparison, Edgar and James, the former Indianapolis Colts slash Cardinals slash Seahawks running back, who is a Hall of Famer, <clears throat> played one more season than Eddie George did and had 200 more rush attempts and about 2,000, about maybe 1,800 more rushing yards and finished with 12 more TDs. It's almost as if... if Eddie had squeezed out one additional season. It's very possible that we'd have be having a very different discussion. Um, had he not signed with Dallas after his release from Tennessee and was the starter there and it not in a backup role. And uh, yeah, maybe we don't have this discussion. Maybe he's already a hall of fame selection. We don't know, but uh, I believe and agree with you. I feel like Eddie's name has just, kind of fallen by the wayside. He's been eligible for a decade. Um, There's always something new that's coming up as to why he doesn't really fit the bill for Canton. Um, I just feel like on a team like that, his importance is just very undervalued and his durability and his numbers are are extremely undervalued. Yeah, totally. And I think it'll be interesting to see um, kind of what happens with Marshawn Lynch when he becomes eligible. I think that they were pretty similar in terms of overall production. And I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see if Lynch gets recognized, you know, in terms of Hall of Fame induction and what that would bring to the conversation. Um, You know, they they were they were pretty similar players uh, kind of across the board. And I think that uh, that will definitely uh whether it impacts the conversation about Eddie George or not, it'll sure. definitely uh, be demonstrative of the value of having that singular championship. Right. And Lynch did have the wow, the wow factor. So we, uh, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Um, again, Eddie George, uh, we both agree underrated, you know, and uh, only the hall of fame, you know, voters, Eddie, not us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, thankfully, it seems like the NFL Hall of Fame is a little more uh, responsive to to careers sure. than, say, the the MLB Hall of Fame. Uh, 
So, you know, I think he probably eventually gets that recognition. But there are a lot of lot of running backs now in the Hall of Fame that uh, that all kind of fall into that same Eddie George range. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that shakes out in the future. But uh, yeah, definitely an under underrated player, um, even if he wasn't quite the Hall of Fame caliber player. Sure. Definitely a very good player who, who gets uh, left out of these conversations. Absolutely. So... Um... Yeah, we've had some interesting things go on here the last week. Uh, Lefty, can we take some time? Uh, anything exciting happening in the the world of women's soccer? You know, uh, we're about to see the uh, the finals of the women's Euro. Um, you know, just uh, just yesterday, Germany knocked off uh, France. So our our old friend Winnie Renard uh, is not going to make a championship. I was hoping that uh, you know she would kind of cap off that career. But at the same time, uh, you know, England made the finals. They'll be playing Germany, and that, that'll be a, an interesting game for them. It's on their home soil. Uh, I saw some pretty remarkable uh, uh, exaggerations about the importance of that. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was an article. I, I can't remember exactly where it was uh, published, but uh, in, a, in a, you know, London publication about how a women's Euro championship on their home soil would uh, contribute to uh, lessening the burden of the cost of living problem oh in oh the my. UK right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, apparently the uh, the quote cost of living crisis can be solved if the women win the, the Euro. I'm definitely women. I, I'm definitely rooting for them now, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and it's it's not the only big upcoming event in uh, in the UK in terms of soccer. Obviously, we have the uh, Premier League and you know all the FA seasons starting here in the next two weeks. Sure. But this Saturday, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, is the FA Community Shield. Um, Liverpool is going to take on Man City on Saturday, uh-huh. um, in what figures to be a great game that. Uh, will carry some maybe ramifications into the season. Definitely. I absolutely want to tune in and I'm committed this year to um, being more on top of the Premier League action that I feel like I've neglected for, well, you know, the entirety of my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm uh, the, the more I read about, the more that I watch, the more that we discuss, it's becoming more and more exciting. And, it always has been. So, you know, I'm, I feel like I've been missing out on the fun. I don't want that anymore. Yeah, no, totally. And, uh, you know, this will, this community shield uh, face off between. So if you're, if you're not familiar, the community shield is uh, the winner of the FA Cup versus the previous winner of the, of the whole Premier League. Um, this is going to be Man City's like big debut of, of Holland. Uh, wow. You know, as the as the biggest, you know, transfer of the offseason, arguably. Sure. Uh, his his debut on the national stage with Man City is going to be a, a a big feat. Uh, you know, something that everyone's tuned into. Uh, so so definitely something that's pretty exciting there. Definitely, uh, I'm sure there's uh, you know a ton of people out there that are have been waiting for this uh, curtain to be pulled here. Uh, so uh, yeah, absolutely looking forward to it. You know, we touched on earlier in the show the MLB trade deadline. Um, things are going to get pretty, uh, pretty hot here. Uh, you know, uh, as soon as now. So, 
Uh, I wanted to ask you, are there any trades that you would like to see? Now, we've got big names out there, obviously, on the pitching side. You know, we talked about the Miami Marlins listening to offers on Lopez. We talked about, uh, obviously, Luis Castillo and uh, Frankie Montez. The, those are the big names out there. It's shocking that those are the big names this year. So it, yeah, it feels yeah. like there's, I don't want to say there's not a lot of depth, but um, are, are there are there any trades that you would like to see? Well, you know, just uh, just personally as a fan, uh, with, uh, you know, the White Sox being in dire need of a lot of things, I'd love to see a return of Jose Quintana to the White Sox, but that's just from a fan's perspective. Sure. Mostly just because, uh, you know, he's probably my favorite player of the last decade. Yeah. Just the most quiet. Uh, and for two years there, statistically the most unlucky player in baseball. Um, so I, I'd love to see him return and have success. Uh, on a larger scale, you know, we, we've seen that Cleveland is open to trading anyone on the roster, any, any pitcher. Uh, we've seen now that the Marlins are open to trading any pitcher, save for Sandy Alcantara. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, come out today that the Astros are also willing to trade from their pitching depth. Sure. So I, I think that there could be some pretty large trades that don't involve Juan Soto. Right. Um, and, and that could be exciting. I'd love to see, uh, you know, the Astros really make a run at the Yankees in terms of, you know, AL dominance, uh, by acquiring, say, Brian Reynolds from the, from the Pirates as well. Sure. That's a, that's a name that I think, uh, they're, they're probably hunting, uh, and could really take them over the over the edge. Definitely a bigger acquisition than say uh, the Yankees acquiring Benintendi. Definitely. Um, you know, obviously your Cardinals are in the market for uh, for several things. <laughs> yeah, uh, for just some starting pitching for for Juan Soto. Uh, there's the Cardinals are in a great position. You know, we've got a loaded farm system with some talent that has really progressed very quickly. Um, there are a lot of pieces that can be moved here, right? Uh, say, say the same for, obviously, the Padres, teams like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that a Juan Soto deal is going to work out. I, like we touched on earlier, I think that they're going to want a little bit too much. And um, I'm not saying that they're overvaluing Soto. I'm saying that they are. it's going to be hard to find a team that is able to part with as many pieces, right? So, um, you know, talking on Quintana... What, wasn't he a part of the trade to the Cubs that got you Dylan Seas? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was the he was the the, the player that you know uh, reeled in both. You know, Dylan Seas was the smaller, uh, you know, lesser known name in that sure. deal. It was really headlined by you know Eloy Jimenez, but uh, yeah, it, it would be a triumphant return. It would be that would be that's a that's a uh, that's a big win for the organization if that happens. I. Um, yeah, I, I would like to see some big moves here um, happen. I, I really want to see, um, you know, some big starting pitching names move across the board. Uh, you know, uh, I think it would, that'll be fun in itself. Um, I love that, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the the Yankees are going to continue to do, but I feel like the, the Red Sox are going to completely unravel here in a couple days. I could be very, very wrong, just as I'm, I could be wrong on the Juan Soto trade, but I feel like Boston is, 
is is ready to uh, you know move JD Martinez. They're ready to to move. So you know, Ivaldi is another a name that they they can move. Yeah, yeah. So I I feel like they're going to unravel here, aside from Story and a couple uh, you know Devers and yeah. you know, a couple other players. So. It- it's it's interesting to see what's happened to them. You know, since the beginning of July, I believe they have the uh, the worst run differential by six miles sure. in baseball. Uh, they've just been absolutely dreadful. Uh, you know, this month. Um, but you know, stepping away from the Red Sox for a minute, I want to ask. Uh, you know, it, we are you know approaching the deadline, and you know, this time of the year, every year, the same thing always comes up that I see. Um, in which fans just across the board of every single team uh, apply just a, an insane amount of value to prospects. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you fall on this, uh, on this uh, debate? Do you think that, uh, you know, how, how, do, how important do you think prospects are in, in, you know, comparison to the top talent being traded? Ah, you know, it, every situation is, is very different, right? Yeah. You know, it really depends on where the organization is actually headed and and how you know we talked about the mlb draft you know on a different episode we talked about the develop developmental side uh, of, of prospects and there's just some organizations that historically just do it better than others right you know i mean look at cleveland they can literally get rid of any of their starting pitchers other than, you know, uh, again, Bieber's another player that, you know, would require uh, a complete, you know, someone's total farm system to, to get, but they have the ability to do that because they consistently are developing great pitching. I mean, and it seems like uh, Stottlemyre in Miami is continuing to do the same thing in, in with that organization, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's a tough question, you know, to answer. I, you know, I think for the Cardinals, from their point of view, um, I, with, if it were, were about Juan Soto, like, I, I don't know who you can't give up. You know, <laughs> that's a tough discussion, right? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting breakdown for me because, um, you know, personally, I would always take the established talent over someone who might be good in the future. Like it is very difficult for a player to come into the league and succeed to the level of some of these names, especially Juan Soto. Um, I would say that there is a close to zero percent possibility that any player traded in a in a deal for Juan Soto could, you know, replicate his production in any meaningful way. Sure, Uh, sure, almost impossible. Absolutely. Um, And and I just don't uh, I, I don't see the value in. Um, obviously there's value in farm systems and prospects, but, uh, when it comes to trading, uh, 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 maybe for a sure thing, uh, I, I take the established talent every single day. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm in, the, I'm in agreement with you on that. Like I said, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be that situation. If you have a game changer, you're in a win now mentality. You say you don't have the farm system death. Um, Absolutely go for it. I mean, if now's the time you go for it, because this could, it could be your one and only chance. So yeah, I think, uh, as I've seen here, uh, just recently, especially with Juan Soto, many teams literally just talking about, um, 
no, we can't let this person go. We can't let this prospect go. You know, he's right there. He's, you know, he's, he's a year away from being there. A year away from being what? Is, is the question, yeah, right? From from being 20% of one soda. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're talking about, you know, it's in St. Louis, you're talking about a guy like Nolan Gorman. Okay. Well, we're talking about a guy who's hitting 229. And, and we're getting, I, I understand he's a young man. He's playing out of position because, you know, we have Arenado at third base. But also, you know, this is not his ceiling. It's just we don't know where that's at, right? But we do know what Juan Soto is going to continue to do and may possibly go down as one of the greatest baseball players ever at this point. Yeah, and, and like when you're talking about trading Soto for someone in a, in a package that includes someone like Gorman, you know, Juan Soto is 23 years old. Nolan Gorman <laughs> is 22. Exactly. Juan Soto has been one of the best hitters in the league, if not the best hitter, um, you know, for several seasons now. Sure. He's in his, like, fourth season now, fourth full season, I believe. Um, And it's just baffling that someone could value someone who is the same age, maybe even older than Juan Soto, more than Juan Soto. Oh, yeah. And that's a typical example of overvaluing, you know, uh, one of the game's top prospects. Great. What about the game's top player? <laughs> you know, we can just <laughs> exactly. we can just have exactly. that now. Everything you want in this young man, we can already have uh, beyond that. You know, in hand. So, yeah, you know, it's I I I, I love seeing what's going to happen. I'm really excited for these next couple of days. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people say, "Hey, you know, this is a dead time of year for sports." Uh, when it, it really isn't. There's just been a lot of fun stuff happening here lately, and we, we've been uh, fortunate enough to be able to report on a little bit, so it's, it's awesome. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Oh, and I did want to say while we're, while we're chatting about, you know, recent happenings, uh, you know, last last weekend was the was the 35K race walk that a friend of the podcast, Evan Dunphy, uh, participated in. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I got up bright and early on a Sunday morning uh, to watch that, and I've got to say, uh, you know, he was not incorrect. It is actually an incredible spectator sport. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a little long, but uh, at the same at the same time, that's kind of what makes it great. Uh, you know, that that level of endurance uh, over over the entire event, uh, in which it turns into a you know a real competitive race right at the end everybody's giving it you know everything they've got left in the tank and uh definitely way more exciting than i anticipated and uh something i encourage everybody to to go watch sometime definitely and thanks again evan for for joining the show if you're if you're listening um we've been able to educate ourselves and you know the fans on what this is so yeah, uh, if I have the opportunity to attend, I, I would love to see a number of happenings, you know, over that weekend. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I'm totally. glad you got a chance to go. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And again, congratulations to him on that uh, sixth place finish. It was a personal best in the 35 kilometer event in uh, an area record. So I believe that's all in North America. Yeah. So he uh, he definitely exceeded his own expectations, yeah. I believe. Great work, Evan. At, at least... At least, uh, you know, what he communicated in the podcast. <laughs> Maybe he's a little more humble than uh, than I thought. But, uh, yeah, yeah, congratulations to him, and uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. Awesome. Well, this was another good show, and uh, we thank you for joining us, uh, Lefty. Um, tell them where they can comment on Eddie George or Draymond Green yeah. or anything else. 
yeah, if you want to talk about Draymond Green, tell us how much you, you hate him and his demands, <laughs> or let us know uh, your thoughts about Eddie George. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at underrated pod. That's at under underscore rated underscore pod on Twitter. Um, and you can listen to this episode and every other episode on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever podcasts can be found. Thanks again, guys. Tune in next week. Thank you.